Hello and welcome to Board Stupid, the podcast that loves talking tabletop board games, D&D and other awesome stuff. I'm Wayne. I'm Simon. I'm Eric. And I'm Tom. Two guests today. That's amazing. <laughs> welcome Tom to the podcast. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, yes. Very good. Eric, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm surprised you guys invited me back, but here I am. So am I. Uh, uh, but anyway, here you are. <laughs> so, no. I, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. <laughs> You're always here. You um, were just a few notes talking about the things we love that are worth geeking out over. So, Simon, are you ready? I am ready. Eric, are you ready? Definitely ready. Tom? Just about, yep. Yeah, I'm ready. And if you guys are ready, let's dive into this week's episode. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing in more detail one of the terms that we use on the show regularly when discussing board games. That is specifically the theme gameplay interaction or theme mechanical interaction. We're going to, we're going to be going into detail and discussion on theme versus gameplay mechanics um, when it comes to board games, which is more important to each of us uh, for each of those things and under what context, and exploring what that interaction is, finding out where the sweet spot between theme and mechanics is. So with that, let's get started. And as we've got some guests on the show, let's um, quickly chat to uh, Tom about what's your history with board gaming and specifically speaking, this modern age of design of board games. I mean, how did you get into the hobby? So I uh, started to get back into board games, having sort of played them as a kid, obviously, all the, 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 the basic board games off the shelf that everyone was used to. Um, probably about... 15 years ago now, um, I started going to a board game convention uh, called Conception in the south of England uh, with a group of friends that I went to school with. Hmm. And um, it was once a year for five days, basically all board games for five days straight. (laughs) Which is amazing. And even though, unfortunately, the convention no longer runs... Um, the same group of friends and I, we still do uh, a long weekend of board games mm. at the same time every year because it's generally the only way I can get them all to be in the same place at the same time. Um, so that has sort of prompted us to uh, collect an enormous number of board games between us. There's yeah. seven or eight of us now. And That's probably several every year, yeah, every year yeah, yeah. we turn up with probably about 20 new board games. <laughs> and we rarely play the same things twice. It sounds amazing. But, um, yeah, so having having sort of got back into it and, and had, having that uh, session where we basically go all out on board games for a long weekend, yeah. I really um, got back into it, uh, certainly the last couple of years, uh, with having the uh, the comic shop in Crawley yeah. and having people sort of locally that I can get together with and, and organise board games as a semi-regular thing. Yeah. It's a lot easier to sort of pick up and put down than things like D&D that tend to require a lot of preparation and uh, you know organizing a certain number of bodies and the same bodies yeah with the same room and the same time it's It's a challenge so it's the hardest thing about being it's like all books it's the organizing yeah we've done pretty well though with your uh, nasim campaign yeah we have i think we're up to 24 sessions now Mm. over more or less entirely over lockdown yeah and this is episode 23 of the podcast, I think so, so very yeah. nearly tied. <laughs> yeah, very almost. Yeah. So we're winning. Very so, yes, just about. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, Eric, how about your sort of general uh, history with board games? You're a newer to the designer board game 
friend sort of hobby, I guess. Yeah, so uh, like everyone else here, yeah, I started playing board games when I was a kid, but more of the basic stuff like Monopoly, so on and so forth. Uh, I only recently started playing modern board games in about the last year or two, surprisingly with the people in this room. Yeah. Uh, that's how I started playing modern board games. Uh, it basically happened because, again, the comic shop in Crawley, every Wednesday they would do a uh, board game night and Tom would bring a bunch of board games. We'd all just go and play and I was like, oh wow, so this is what board games are like now. Because It's I haven't a played thing you've never heard of. We're going to play this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. I'm like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so a little bit more of a noob, but I've played a billion board games with you guys, so I yeah. feel like I have somewhat some knowledge on the topic. Yeah, I was trying to explain to uh, some older friends recently what differentiates modern board games versus the classics that we all grew up playing, and it's still kind of a hard thing to describe in a way, so hopefully this episode will kind of explode that in. Yeah, well that could almost, that's almost a topic in itself. I mean, where do you put the line? I mean, you can go back, things like Ticket to Ride go back to 2003, um, which is quite early on. Pandemic is about 2008. I picked up the June board game uh, a few weeks ago, which was actually a board game that had its original printing about 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, wow, and yeah, it's only been recently remade and tweaked. Yeah, I watched the, the, the kind of reinvigorated game. version. It yeah, it's really yeah. in depth. I think it's uh, hugely in Karen might have that as well. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, it, I'm hoping that we can get it to the table at some. Please point. do. I mean, it's a monster. It's one of those cl- legendary classics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose a, a line in the sand that a lot of people draw, and may as well segue on this for a little bit, is uh, the um, Catan. Yeah. Mm. So uh, when Catan came along, it was very much the sort of birth of those a, a new sort of breed of board game. Uh, it was the next big popular explosion after sort of things like you know, the, the ones that everyone knows, mm. um, sort of your general mainstream games. Because Catan became mainstream, you find it in uh, sort of bookshops and, and all yeah. sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be alongside Scrabble and Monopoly. Yeah, and those yeah. Other you find it in Argos or in in wherever. So it's I think probably from Catan onwards. And then for me, at least, when I think about designer board games, which I think is probably slightly different from modern board games, that for me came along close to sort of eight years ago or so with the Kickstarter boom. Yeah, That is, I think, a slightly different era, which is where we're in now, which I think is, is the new golden age. So, so yeah. Catan was like the Attitude Era. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. And then after Catan, then you've got things like Ticket to Ride and Pandemics. It's still big publisher board games. And then you have the designer phase, which is the Kickstarter sort of custom it's crazy become madness. so much easier for smaller studios and teams to get into it with the advent of Kickstarter because they don't need to have all of that capital and infrastructure yeah, and you before they start correct you don't need to sell a executive on a concept you sell the people that want it yeah and enough people buy into it, you don't you don't need that middleman. Mm-hmm. You've got like we talked about on the Dinosaur Island podcast. Yeah, who the fuck is going to come up with a '90s neon themed <laughs> Jurassic Park IP crazy four fever phase trip. fever trip, fever trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blend of mechanics in a in a blender? Yeah. I mean, but it's great. Yeah, I think Dinosaur Island is going to feature quite heavily in this episode in terms of theme and mechanics, isn't it? So, That's a great example. Yeah, so. In order to talk about gameplay and theme interaction, I think it's important to distinguish between the sort of two major types of games. There is a third, which we can talk about, or a fourth, um, that which are sort of Euro games and Ameritrash games, or American-style Ameritrash, if you're particularly sensitive. But I've always known it as Ameritrash, so whatever. And then you've also got, um, I guess... Uh, abstracts, which I, mm-hmm. I don't really count in this, in this conversation. And... Um, so you've got 
Euro, and what do you understand to be a Euro game, Tom? A Euro game is, um, or tends to be, uh, games that have embraced uh, quite complex, um, sprawling uh, boards with lots and lots and lots of pieces, and um, a mix of things like... um, card draw mechanics, hand building, deck building, mm-hmm. um, worker placements are very, very popular in Euro games. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically they are, um, they ten- tend to be sort of like larger publisher games. They tend to be quite well known. Mm. Um, so things like um, things like Ticket to Ride, like you said, is, is, is a very classic Euro game. Is Euro game, yeah. Um, for me, I find Euro games tend to be... Uh, more at least more, more likely than Ameritrash games entirely balanced so the focus on Euro games is more about balance mm. if you see a meeple it's probably a Euro game yes. um, if you see if there's if it's about farming it's probably a Euro game um, or anything like that it's generally Euro based so like you say with um, things like card drafting or things like worker placement those sorts of mechanics will tend to be um, towards Euro-style gaming. More strategy, less random chance, less dice rolling. 100%. You will very rarely see a dice rolled in a Euro game. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, it's much more about you choosing the party you want, building that engine, having your much more control, isn't it, than the other side. Yes, and there's... uh, And in, I suppose, contrast to that, you have your sort of more Ameritrashy-style games, which for me is... Almost, I suppose, the way of concisely talking about it is sort of style over substance to some extent. Yes. It's like a, uh, an action movie, really, isn't it? Like <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. It's, it's very fast-paced, a lot more randomization. Yes. Um, trying to simulate a lot of things. Yeah. As opposed to trying to perfectly balance something. It's more about how can we cram as... How can we perfectly replicate this horror film in a, in a game? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can we perfectly replicate this action movie or this action scenario yeah. in a game? Yeah, and theme theme is so important for some of those games. I, I, something it's that immediately yeah. came to mind there was Nemesis. Oh, yeah. When you said horror mm-hmm. game, yes, yeah. So that is that is something that is it wouldn't exist if they hadn't decided to build it around essentially aliens. Yes, uh, but it, you know it takes elements from other horror uh, films and, and the genre as a, as a whole. And the whole idea of the game is to build around the paranoia and the fear and the sort of the uncertainty of that mm-hmm. that type of film. Yeah, and Nemesis doesn't give a toss about balance. No. <laughs> oh no, no. It, if anything, it kind of assumes that you're going to get wrecked, mm. uh, which is which is great. And so yeah, it pulls in other little elements like the contamination, kind of speaks yeah. towards the thing and that and the hidden uh, objectives. You're not really sure. Where you're going, what's happening, who's on your side? Unless you're playing the specifically co-op yeah. subversion of it. Everyone has their own agenda, yeah. or might have their own agenda. Or, or don't might. Know. Yeah. No, no, who knows? Um, and another great example of, say, a Euro game, uh, kind of disguised uh, in some respects, is Pandemic, one of the classics. It is, if you work it out, a, a mathematical equation where there is always a right move. So there is very rarely a point in Pandemic where. Um, yeah, you're a dice roll or a card draw away from total failure. You, uh, if you've planned it right, you'll probably win. Yeah, if like, you're counting all the cards as they go back into the deck, like, <laughs> like some people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's essentially pattern recognition, isn't it? Which I suppose, in a way, is what literal pandemic control is. It's going. Yes. This is happening here. Where is it most likely to go? 
and when it goes there, where is it most likely to go? Mm-hmm. How can we shut down that most effectively? Yeah, where do we put the nurse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, quite right. Yeah, where do we where do we put her so we we don't have an absolute shitstorm? <laughs> um, uh, another good example of a uh, good sort of solid Euro game that Antoine Bowser developed. Uh, Seven Wonders. Did you ever play Seven oh, Wonders? Oh yeah, absolutely. So a classic. So it's a car, just card drafting. So Eric, you're familiar with the card drafting yes. mechanic? Yeah. So obviously from Magic the Gathering, um, uh, and playing drafting. It's just that's it. The mechanism is drafting with scoring tied to the things that you yep. draft. Yeah, it's a very simple sort of semi-engine builder card drafting yes. game for points, that's it. Yeah, yep. engine building as well, a very Euro-based uh, uh, thing. Uh, we have also got um, the Manhattan Project, another engine builder slash worker placement game. I need to play Manhattan Projects again, man. It's it, been too long. It's a really awesome one, yeah. We should bust that out, really. Uh, do a Let's Played on that, or We Played on that. Um, but yeah, these types of mechanics, these types of Euro games, the... It's, it's perfectly weighted. The strategies are clearly defined. Um, you pick one, and if you do it better than the other person, you, you win. Uh, there's also a, a, I think, a feature of Euro games is very little or limited player conflict. Yes. Yeah. Actually, certainly with uh, worker placement games, they tend to have very little player interaction, other than effectively area denial. You take an action on the board, you place a yeah. worker on it. I suppose it, direct and someone yeah. else cannot then take it. Yeah, I suppose that's probably a better way. There's there's little direct player conflict or play, direct mm-hmm. player interaction. It's more uh you're playing your own everyone's playing their own game to some extent with a Euro game. It's an engine builder race, mm. if you like. Yeah. And then I suppose somewhere in the middle of that we've got this sweet spot of hybrid games, which is much more uh, more common these days, especially with the designer board game Kickstarter yeah. uh, sort of era, is where you have board game design which is way more sophisticated and it starts to really blend those things together in such a great way, um, where we have those elements of randomness and of um, of massive theme, uh, but also you have some really nice balance in between it as well. Um, and then, for that, I think about games like Blood Rage, yep. mm-hmm. which you ostensibly has Euro-based worker, I suppose, Viking placement, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. area control, yeah. but then you also have card drafting, that's a Euro, but then you also have the crazy uh, powers of the cards. Yeah, you're building your engine with your upgrades as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you could argue that it's a pure Euro game because it's quite a merry, uh, a merry but it's... No, a... I, well, I was going to suggest uh, Spirit Island, which mm. obviously we, we played not that mm. long ago. That's a great It game. is, at its heart, very, very mechanical. It is clearly very carefully designed to be as balanced as possible. There's a whole load of engines. You've got your own engine. You've, you've yeah. got an AI engine basically controlling the game. It's very and mathy, then, isn't it? So, yeah, it's yeah. very, very mathematical. Mm. Um, and and it's similar to um, these other games where you have a, a, a certain route that you can play to be more optimal, and you have card drafting to sort mm-hmm. of help with with your with your engine as you're going along. But it is incredibly thematic, mm. and there's some really really um, really great examples with some of the spirits, like the ocean spirit, for example, where when you spread your influence. You start at the seas, yeah. and you spread inland, yeah. and every time you need to reset your hand, reclaim your cards so that you can use them again, the tide goes out. All of your influence goes back out to the sea again. That's cool. And all of the spirits are set up to be 
essentially themed around a particular type of element or uh, an aspect of nature in this case. And they very, very carefully designed their base powers and the passive abilities that they have in order to try and emphasize that. That is an excellent example of what we're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, a prime example of that combination of theme and mechanic mm-hmm. where each each thing is stylized very heavily in its, its look, but then has a very specific power and design type within it that means it all operates differently. Yeah, linked entirely and wholeheartedly to the game's principle and, and, and ethos, I guess. Do you guys prefer a more thematic experience? We don't care about balance. Would you prefer a more balanced, mechanical, you like to play your own game and everyone plays their own game and let's see what the scores are at the end? Person- so Eric. Yeah, personally, I I would pref- I like the more uh, balanced, but then thematic is always more fun because uh, it's just interesting to see what happens uh, when you're interacting with other people. Uh, the, my favourite type of board game is co-op board games like yeah. uh, Sentinels, for example. Or it's a great game, Sentinels of the Multiverse. So yeah, it's amazing. Because yeah. you have your, your AI villain who's basically there to mess you up and you all have to work together with your cards in order to try to defeat the villain and save the day. Um, also, another great game that comes to mind is uh, Smog, Rise of Moloch, mm. uh, which is a game where you have one versus the rest of the party. One versus Game. Yeah, I exactly. Love a, I love a good one versus many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, where you have to uh, work together, manage how much energy you use because if you use too much energy, it's going to go to the villain, and they'll be able to do some really crazy stuff. So you have to balance what you're doing, but then it's also thematic because you're fighting this villain trying to stop the rise of Moloch from happening. Yeah. Um, and the villain's specifically there to stop you and achieve their goal, but mm. you have to make sure you don't overstep your boundaries otherwise you're going to give them too much power in the game so I like thematic games like also um, Betrayal Betrayal very Ameritrashy game Um, but yeah super super thematic super super fun because it's all randomised um, you never know what uh, haunt you're going to get. Yeah, what's the next tile that yeah, comes out. Yeah, exactly. So, um... the, the maps are procedurally generated, basically. Um, and you have to basically work out a plan of trying to beat the ghost whilst one of your friends is trying to help the ghost or creature, yeah. or whatever it is, <laughs> uh, without being murdered. Like last time we played... Um, they were trying to kill Pete's character whilst yep. trying to um, do a wedding within the chapel. Yeah. And I was playing a small Japanese boy with a magic spear <laughs> and a hobo um, who was fighting off the ghost whilst everyone else was trying to carry the body of her dead fiancé <laughs> to the chapel. Totally a game that gives you a good story. Yeah, yeah so exactly, memorable. exactly. Yeah, 100%. I think that kind of taps into why I like uh, Dungeons & Dragons so much. It's mm. like a game with a story built in with it, but then obviously the mechanics work because like... Um, Clank as well. It's such mm-hmm. a fun game. It's a uh, card drafting. It's all like uh, mechanical. As you're just trying to get points um, and draft, so you can end up having the most points in the game. But yeah. then you also have this whole thing of this dragon looming in this yeah. dungeon, hunting you down. <laughs> and if you make too much noise, he's gonna find you. <laughs> You'll but, eat your ass. Yeah. So theme is <laughs> the, theme is theme is definitely great for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Simon, how about you? The more I play, the less certain I am of what I prefer now, honestly. <laughs> yeah, we've played um, a few games together. And, um... Yeah, I mean, it, as you know, I'm fairly new to the whole designer board game thing until probably, what, a year, maybe yeah, two years, years ago, we started yeah. playing Nemesis. Um, I think late 2018. Yeah. Feels like a lifetime ago at the yeah. moment. I can't deny that I love a really strong theme, almost regardless of the mechanic behind it. Sometimes if I'm invested in the the nature the design of the um 
whether it's got a strong license or close to like Nemesis, like uh, Dead of Winter, you know, I love zombie type stuff. So, so yeah. I've got a game that involves zombies. I'm like, cool. I don't really I'm care. Right. I don't really care what the background is. <laughs> yeah. It can be cards, can be dice, can be tiles, can be whatever. Mm-hmm. I get to fight zombies. Yeah. So yeah, definitely sold on that. Or you could then say, I've got this really cool but fairly dull looking game, but the mechanics behind it mm. are amazing. Mm-hmm. And you get that really strong sense of achievement because you get to build that engine. You get to, you know, because re- something like Manhattan Project is, it's got a decent enough theme, but it's not super thematic compared no, to a lot of the other games you play. It could it, be almost anything. Correct. Um, but you're getting that combination of picking up bits and that competition of can I beat them to this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't really matter what the theme is. It happens to be a quite fun theme, yeah. but it's kind of irrelevant because um, that engine build is the important bit of the game so it's, it's yeah I do like both ends of the spectrum and mm. as we know we've got that then sweet spot in the middle where you've got stuff like uh, Scythe which mm. is just pure dynamite in terms of yeah, super super strong theme and an unquestionably strong gameplay mechanic throughout I'll, I'll talk about Scythe uh, at ad nauseum I guess <laughs> yeah, when yeah, we get around to my bit we've liked Lyrical over many yeah, episodes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I guess another example, like, I suppose because we've played that quite a lot, is uh, Wasteland Express Delivery oh, Service. Oh, I love that game. It uh, has a very interesting sort of blend mm. of uh, sort of theme, gameplay, interaction, and it feels, for me, relatively balanced as far as it goes. It doesn't feel particularly Ameritrashy. There's not, well, it, it's, in, in the attacks and stuff, it can feel quite swingy suppose, yeah. because a lot of your missions are... Um, Gaining resource from attacking certain Oh, that places. is true, actually, yeah. Um, you need to have a decent enough dice roll that you don't get screwed over. and mm. you Because you're very limited on your uh, actions as well. Yeah. Um, it's quite easy to fall behind sometimes because you don't. You just get bad dice rolls and you need to have that That's attack true. successful. So it can be a bit swingy. It's a kind of a hybrid, I guess, because anything I find where you have action-based selection or action, action points, economy. action economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's generally going to be a bit more balanced, more swinging, more, more of a Euro style. But then chucking some dice rolling, fighting raiders and stealing their shit is uh, a bit more Ameritrashy. Yeah. Um, but then obviously, because it isn't purely that dice thing, you can go, well, it's not working. I'll go and do yeah. one of three or four other things. So you've, yeah, you've got a bit more balance than some other games might because you are open to, you know, you've mm. got the whole... whole uh, town as it were to go investigate and mm. rip around in your yeah. giant tricks out caravan, tricks out caravan <laughs> yeah. uh, how about you Tom so do you have a preference as the one over the other or where's, uh, where's your sweet spot t- typically I will sit somewhere in the middle but yeah. I am an absolute sucker for a really really crunchy mechanical game big euro yeah epic euro. Of, okay. uh, an example being the what six seven hour game that we had of Star Wars Rebellion not that long ago <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing yeah uh, I, I love that sort of game where you can get into something and it's like a whole day exercise in some cases mm. a really really complicated game with loads of rules and loads of interacting systems particularly if you can step back for a minute and you can see how all of those systems interact. I yeah. love those mechanics. Mm. And I've always been into very, very complex board games, complex uh, 
tabletop RPGs, that sort of thing. That's when we talk about our weight, our, our yeah. complexity yeah, scale yeah. on the I've podcast. A, so, yeah. I've always been a rules guy. You're like those fours and fives. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've always been the one who had to learn the rules. So I like yeah, to me too. Yeah, I like yeah. to go for the games that are really, really tactical and strategic so yeah. then because I learn the rules and I have to tell them to everyone else I have a, maybe a little bit of an edge <laughs> <laughs> I've not yet played Rebellion sorry I might be jumping ahead no, of Wayne, ahead. Wayne's plan here but would you'd enjoy those mechanics regardless of it being Star Wars then I take it it could I... be kind of any you could almost reskin it quite easily well, I would argue that Star Wars Rebellion is more of an Ameritrashy game there's a lot of dice rolling it would have been a lot of randomization. but I think it would have been difficult to reskin because so much of the game is based around essentially a six hour game of hide and seek yes mm-hmm. and that's essentially it yeah, yeah. if you didn't have a Empire versus Alliance sort of theme to that I suppose it would be quite difficult to find something to reskin that would fit all of the different Systems without being a ripoff of Star Wars, well, yeah. and, and yeah. also I'd argue that Star Wars Rebellion is the quintessential Star Wars experience. I mean, it's yep. not it's not a miniatures game uh, like Imperial Assault and things like that. Star Wars Rebellion is Star Wars in a box. It is a it's really the whole thing. It's grand scale. It's grand yeah. scale, mm-hmm. the galactic level. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I mean, everything from blowing up. Planets to blow it. Blow, I blew up Alderaan just because just I needed to blow up. Yeah. It was my planet, <laughs> and I couldn't. I couldn't get to the remaining planets that Wayne was on with the Death Star in time, so I just started nuking my own planets. <laughs> okay, just because. Interesting. Well, it's the Empire could do what he likes. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I wasn't feeling evil enough. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm. Yeah. I think. I think because we've all come into the modern era, I guess, in terms of design of board games, we're all in that hybrid sort of... We, we like the hybrids. We like somewhere in the middle. If I'm... Me personally, I like somewhere towards balance. So if I'm... I like somewhere towards a Euro. But I do... Like, for example, one of my favourite games of all time at the moment is, is, is Scythe. And like I said, we have waxed lyrical about it. But it really does have an unbelievably strong theme. But the balance of that game is immaculate. I mean, it's such an elegant design. And the more I play it, the more I appreciate that game for what it is. Mm. Yeah, I never feel like I'm not in control of what I'm doing. I might occasionally go, oh, shit, I should have done that two years ago. Yes, exactly. But you you know what you did wrong. And, yeah, yeah, I'm 100% on board with you. I mean, you you think everyone here has played it, right? Yeah, Yeah. I was surprised. I'm not the smartest cookie in the jar. but And that's why I like (laughs) like, number crunching games aren't my favourite, just because it takes at least one playthrough of a game for me to wrap my brain around it. Mm. That's why I think I probably prefer thematic games, but Scythe was so easy to pick up. Exactly. It's it's so easy to just build an engine. Surprisingly simple. Yeah. I mean, when you take it out of the box, it looks very good. It looks horrendous. Even the rule book looks a little bit daunting the first time you look at it. And then actually, as soon as you start playing, it's very straightforward. It's Mm -hmm. so elegant. It's so well designed. I mean, even like the sim... I'm somewhat critical of a lot of symbology in board games Mm. because it can make the learning curve very steep. But the design... Is so elegant to such an extent that it's super simple. Anything red is a cost. Anything green is a benefit. And once you know that principle, the board becomes super clear. Yeah, and you've got four resources, which although someone got confused between oil and steel, I think, on the last <laughs> yeah, game. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably just lack of reasonable light, maybe. Hasn't yeah, it? possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, four resources, four bottom row actions, robot, build a house, enlist. 
No. And the other one, you know, essentially eight symbols which are recognisable. You want to build it, looks like a hut. You want to build a robot, it looks like a damn robot. robot, You're not going to get confused by it. Because you look at the player board, it looks kind of intimidating, but you just think about it, you're just moving one piece across, Mm -hmm. and that's your upgrade. And it's that simple. You're just moving one piece to an empty slot. Yeah. And that's the upgrade, as opposed to trying to figure out where to put stuff on the player board. For sure. And then I guess my, <clears throat> I suppose a critique of Scythe is that when we talk about, especially this subject, that theme gameplay interaction, I struggle to find the point in Scythe where I can point to it and say, well, that without the theme is, this is what makes Scythe. This is where the interaction is. That's perfect. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Because it's much more weighted towards that Euro style. I yeah. don't feel like there's enough. Like, there's no specific thing that I can point and say that mechanic works with that theme so well I couldn't think of it anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, and to go back to Star Wars Rebellion, that's that's one of the ones that's sort of the other side it's of that the other side of that where fence, you yeah. couldn't really divorce the two. The, no. The mechanics from the theme are... It's clearly being designed around Star Wars. The custom dice and the and minis it, and everything. Well, yeah, yeah it would yeah, be yeah. so difficult to yeah. take all of those pieces and make them generic and homogenised and apply it to another. And that design another philosophy. Theme. Yeah. So... No, 100% no, I agree with you. That's where I would generally lie. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I've discussed on the podcast before, I'm an omni-gamer, and another one of my favourites is, is Western Legends, which mm. sort of sneaks slightly towards the other side. Cause that's, that's a not, story, definitely. It's yeah. a great story game. I mean, the same with, story, in fact, every time. Yeah, yeah with, with Tom. <laughs> Sucker punch. Sucker punch. <laughs> every time, Tom. Pick another target, man. <laughs> it's, but, great, it's a great move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, suck a punch Wayne and steal his shit. But no, uh, that is, I think we've all played Western Legends here, yes, right? And um, yeah. that is, it's not too concerned with balance because you have a random deck of cards yeah. and the amount of interactions that you can have. And there is a lot of, um, you know, how I talked about at the beginning, player interaction. Mm-hmm. That's a good, strong um, sort of indicator that you're playing an, an Ameritrashy style more thematic game is if you have player interaction and there is a lot of player fuckery in this game yep. oh yes definitely yeah and it, it's uh, much more immediate I think than some of the other games we play it's, mm-hmm. we've mentioned before the quick setup time once you've built the little general store that first time around you just go plan wow. down that bam bam and you're ready to go 10 um, minutes or less I think it is it's a great setup time for that game so well designed and then again because it's relatively straightforward yeah you've got quite a few options but really you're only going to do a couple of things at most during a turn uh, I really like that accessibility as well it's Just mm. I can really picture putting that down in front of anyone regard, you know if they've not played anything since Monopoly yeah. in 1996 <clears throat> you go cool let's play Western Legend they're like uh, no really yeah. it's, yeah. it's as straightforward as it looks mm. whereas it, something like Scythe you're like oh yeah, actually, I'm going to have to explain quite a lot of separate things. So, there's a couple of great little theme gameplay interactive segments I think in Western Legends, like just mining for gold, <laughs> like a little gold rush thing. It's, it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah, it's a yeah. satisfying, and then going to sell that to the bank, which you can then rob. Like there is no, there, there is no, there is no element of that that I think you can extract from a Western theme. No, no, think, and and it's it's so it's so important with sort of the simpler games there to be accessible. Yes. Mm-hmm. What Simon was touching on there is, is a gateway game. Yeah, you yeah need, I think so. You need a selection of games that you can easily explain to people that are either not feeling a more complicated game or are generally more new to 
playing modern board games. Yes, you'd like to scare them off. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue that. <laughs> of course, Wayne threw Nemesis at me, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, hey, whatever. So that's a gateway game. And, and <laughs> yeah. That's another interesting discussion because what a gateway for some people is isn't a gateway for other people. Some people want to be thrown and immersed into the experience. They're like, you know, I don't want an, a simple... Oh, I did. Board I'm pretty sure I swamped Eric with Smog the first yeah, time. Yeah, so, like, just I was like, there's so many pieces. Still the but massive. I, you come from a D and D background. Yeah, exactly. Though, That's why I loved it so much because like you're playing a character and you're working together as a team to fight the villain. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's an easy gateway for me because I love Dungeons and Dragons so much. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, a nice simple one. Mm. Um, so I guess let's talk about some other games uh, that that we've had experience with. Where do you feel the sweet spot is with those games? Are there any elements or mechanics from those games that you can pull out and say that that is a great example of that game that I can't really divorce from any other theme or mechanic that I think that's a great example of it? Yes, the the side quest in Fallout, the board game. Oh, was, yes. We all play that together. Oh, my God. So good. You, It literally just makes you feel like you're playing the video game just on a table. Yes. And it's just like you're doing side quests and they, they move forward, you do more stuff. Like, for example... Uh, you were playing a, a ghoul who was trying to get elected as the <laughs> as the overseer in a vault. Um, I'm not sure how you managed to sign up <laughs> yeah. for that. I, was, I promise you, if you help me, I'll help you. <laughs> Tom was a, a, a doctor, a, a doctor super mutant who was going around yeah. selling drugs to uh, bandits. <laughs> I, I stole the uh, lab coat. Yeah. And came into a large cache of drugs. Yeah. And then it just all fit together. So, so good. Yeah. And I was playing some uh, a Brotherhood paladin who was killing everyone hoping one was a sin and then and then playing magic with yeah. kids <laughs> playing magic against <laughs> random street kids <laughs> for money yeah yeah I, no, I, you're right that that engine was amazing yeah. and totally you're right that's a, the perfect theme gameplay interaction yeah because you can't them. you can't separate if you separate fallout from whatever the mechanics yeah. are it just doesn't it isn't anything no yeah, yeah. I agree. I'd, I'd love to see that game played by a Four people that have no background with Fallout. Mm. Because we all loved it and mm. we've created these ridiculous stories because we have that kind of mindset. Yeah. yeah. I'm really interested to see how well that plays with people that aren't necessarily new to board gaming in the modern sense. They understand how different mechanics will work, but haven't the background and the interest necessarily in Fallout and see how much of the theme plays into the mm. yeah. enjoyability. That's a good point. How about you, Simon? Any particular games that you've played where you can pluck a thing out and say that marries perfectly with that game? Bag development. Bag development. Nemesis. Nemesis, yes. What is going to shit on you next? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it represents so many things like the aliens breeding in the background and hearing the noise. It's the unknown element and forcing you to be involved. It's not just, oh... You're on round three, this happens. Like, no, every single step is an unknown quantity. Yeah. And therefore, terrifying. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I think another great, that's a great example, to be fair. Nemesis has a few of those. Even, like, placing of the sound markers and rolling for noise. Yeah. And that feels like, well, the ship should be silent. You're in deep space. You wake up and there's noise somewhere. I think that is so married to that theme of like aliens. Uh, it's, yeah, it's there's not many example. situations really outside of that specific there's, setting yeah. that you could make that work in the same way that it does. Where you not as well as it. Where does. you wouldn't otherwise just disregard it. Like, oh yeah, you could be. I'm trying to think of a different setting. Like, oh, you're creeping along the corridors of a castle. Like, well, sure, there might be guards around the corner, but you kind of get the feeling you can leg it. Yeah. 
Whereas it's not as terrifying. You're in a ship that's mm. bound and it, you know that there shouldn't be anything there. Like, yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, that's the point. Where that's the point, yeah. It's Why like is a, there noise coming from that corridor? It's like that quintessential yeah. sci-fi horror. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, what I think, Wayne, you mentioned it earlier, it's the thing. You know, it's yeah. not yeah. necessarily you're in space. You could be in some Arctic, you know, research station. You can't yes. leave. Yes. You're, you're still contained in some way with something that you can't identify. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's that horror theme. Exactly. Yeah. It's tied to that theme, like, absolutely uh, how about you, uh, Tony? Specific examples. I, I was I was going to go actually um, back to Clank again. It's a similar <laughs> one. It's a similar sort of uh, bag development mechanic with with the Clank noise. But since you've touched on that, I was going to do something else. Um, Spirit Island. Mm-hmm. The way in which the enemies play out over the course of the game, mm-hmm. I, I love because it's it's not entirely predictable. But you need to understand exactly how it works um, and have a really clear idea of what's going to happen in the next turn or the next two turns in order to be able to manage the enemies. Mm -hmm. Because we played on the easy setting. Well, yeah, we did, and yeah, because <laughs> you guys were playing new to the game as well. Yeah, but imagine if we pile a load of additional difficulty and mechanics on top of it. Yeah, it, you have to be so on top of exactly how the enemy are going to develop and spread out. Yeah, otherwise you're screwed. You just you won't be able to get on top of the difficulty curve before it crushes you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that for me is is really really excellently designed. I I love how it works. I love being able to look at the board and work out where something is going to happen in the next turn or the next two turns. And then as a team, you can decide between you who's going to cover what areas to try and interrupt that development. Yeah. And it ties fairly well with the theme of playing, excuse me, playing as gods where you almost have that foresight of going, oh, something is changing here. We need to get ahead of it before it outpaces us and annihilates the island so you can kind of focus in and go actually yeah that i think that ties quite nicely with the the theme of going Mm -hmm. we this is our place we need to protect it we've got a reasonable idea that this will become this so before it gets to stage two a town we need to kind of shut shut it down deal with the explorers before they become a town or when i was playing uh with you guys uh, a few weeks ago uh, as the spread of rampant green, the the, the woodlands, mm. forest, you have the ability to interrupt a build or a ravage. Mm. And if you can get ahead of the explorers and interrupt their building, you then know that on the following turn you're safe because you yeah. don't have to then worry about the ravage. So mm. that sort of thing, that, that disruption and visibility of what the enemy is going to do yeah. and their, their development mechanics really, really... Well designed. No, I think so. No, that's a great example. I, I did really enjoy it actually. I think it'd be quite fun to play again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, want to it's get that quite, yeah, it's definitely it's a, it's a weighty, definitely much more towards a Euro end of it as well. So, it's a yeah. it's a tough game to teach and play at the same time. <laughs> it's front loaded with rules. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, we've talked about it before, but I'm going to briefly mention it on this podcast. Is the um, through Dinosaur Island? Uh, it comes with these big, chunky, amber. Transparent, amber transparent sort of mm-hmm. dice um, with little DNA symbols on them, and it's perfectly representative. If you've ever seen Jurassic Park, of the needle going into the hunk of amber mm-hmm. and you extracting the DNA from it from the mosquito that's trapped in it, it's 
so awesome. And you're rolling these big chunky dice to represent the extracting of DNA from uh, Amber. I mean, they didn't spot that the first time we played it because it was there was too many there was, bright colors. There's so it. much <laughs> shit on the table. But, yeah. yeah, when you pointed that out, I was like, "That's really clever." It's super clever, yeah. right? It's so well thought about, and I think that is like a really quintessential example of a great theme play game, theme gameplay interaction. And another one for me, which I'm going to pull out from one of my favorite, probably my favorite game of all time, uh, Rising Sun, is just the honor track. Because the honor scale in Rising Sun impacts so many other elements of the game. It is critical. It's yeah. critical, and it is only works in this sort of sort of mythological ancient Japan, where certain things that you do in the game will increase your honor, mm. certain things that you do will decrease your honor, creating alliances, part of that whole political um, circle. Uh, d- different things and different gods and spirits will only be on your side if you're lo- not honorable. Mm. Mm. Um, some will only be on your side if you are honorable. I think that particular track is so tied to that game and so tied to that theme in in every way. I mean, the points and everything else and the cards and the upgrades you can do and and area control, that's area control. But that track is a fucking great example of theme gameplay interaction for me. The very quickly flipping... Flipping and shooting Yes, exactly, yes. It's kind of easy to overlook, though. When when you look at that board particularly, obviously we've discussed its its beauty as a... An item, but yeah, it's almost sort of yeah, off into the side yeah, a little bit. You certainly, kind of disregard it for a lot. But mm. then, as I say, in, in ties or in there, so many other things, it it's crucial where it really swings the balance within someone's mm. favor. So the first the first time we played, I didn't really put much stock in it at all, mm. and then you know suddenly you're at the bottom of the honor track, and someone's getting initiative on you in uh, you know in a conflict. Mm. Or they've managed to steal one of the uh, the, the gods off you. Yes, the the, uh, the, the, the kami or the because because you're no longer more honourable than this other yeah. person. And suddenly, you know, the turn order switched up, and everything goes against you all at the same time because you're not honourable. Yes, and it flips so quickly yes. and so easily that you can really overlook it. And it's um yeah go ahead. I was like, or you just go for the low honor build and just summon a bunch of demons. Just summon a bunch of demons because you're not honorable, so yeah. screw it. And yeah. let's have all the bad guys come and fight for me. Um, I I love that. I think it's another great example of a theme gameplay interaction. Um, there's a few other examples that I can think of. I and mean, you guys haven't played. Uh, I don't think the Godfather Corleone's Empire. No. Great stuff. No. All about mobsters. Absolutely uh, phenomenal game. I was also gonna give a, a little a little mention to New Angeles that we played. Oh my uh, god, yeah. which I would like to play again. Please do with so the full complement of six. Please, you, you play it with six players. Yeah, it's got it's got uh, it's got deck drafting. Uh, yeah, it's got engine building. It's got cooperative. Um, area management and resource management that you have to do as a group. You've got individual goals, you've got secret goals, you've got possibly a secret traitor. Yeah. Everyone's in it for themselves, yeah. but actually yeah. you're all supposed to sort of be working together. It's like this brilliant mm-hmm. view of future corporations yeah. uh, all trying to sort of run this city together. Um, and I'd love to play that again. Yeah, because for sure. It was it was great fun when we when we played it before, mm. and you you get this you get these brilliant moments of corporate uh, espionage and backstabbing. Where the first time I played it, we played in a group of six, 
and even up until the last possible second, even when we knew who the Federalist was who was trying to bring all of the corporations down, mm-hmm. and we had to work together to stop him from ruining the game for us, mm-hmm. yeah. we still had players backstabbing each other <laughs> and making deals behind the other's backs and refusing to get involved or only contributing just enough yeah. so that we would just about stay safe. You know, I, I think the final move of the game was there was a deal being made because someone wanted to build a statue of themselves. And, and that was it. <laughs> they were like, I'm not going to contribute because actually I need to save all this money to build a statue to, of myself. To, to my own gloriousness. Wow. Yeah, because there's another one with like theme as well because you have all the different companies that you can play as. Mm. Like when we were playing, I played the media company and you have control of what people see pretty much. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you can change if uh, like how rowdy people get and stuff like that. Yeah. So people have to be like, people have to be on your side because you basically control what the populace sees. Mm-hmm. And obviously different people will have different things like the doctor will deal with viruses and stuff yeah. like that. It's got a great sort of, not rock, paper, scissors, but there's sort of this circle of dependencies yeah. on all the different resources. And each of the companies is sort of, they benefit from one of the other companies doing mm-hmm. something and then if they then do their thing someone else will benefit from it and it goes in this big loop so if you've got all of the companies in play yeah it's great because there's this there's these relationships sort of set up between each of the corporations who depend on one another to a certain extent mm-hmm. to yeah. you know rely on certain crises happening so that they can then leverage their own abilities to to deal with that all in the all in the name of the greater good, of course. Yeah, of the greater, yeah. the greater good, the greater good. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Uh, just going back into blood rage for a second. I just and we talk about that sweet, nice marrying of the right mechanics with the right game. Eric Lang does it amazingly anyway with his his trilogy. That's why I'm so excited about Ankh, uh, Gods of Egypt, where you have in blood rage an ever decreasing board because it's being devoured by the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. So and as things are getting the board's getting smaller, the clans are getting more powerful. Yep. So you have this wonderful rising tension because you it's all building towards glorious epic battle at the end. Yeah, it negates any passivity, doesn't it? Yeah, like, this will happen. This will. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is gonna happen, and it, it's different from Rising Sun's more political uh, slow burn. This is more uh, running with with two axes on fire, <laughs> uh, which is amazing. Unless you go for the the Loki build and you uh, just want your, you be tricky and try to get your people to kill your soldiers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, still there's glory in, yeah. in death, I guess, and so and that does that great way. It's all about glory in death. Um, yeah, that's another great uh, example of good theme gameplay interaction. Just the entirety of that game. And I suppose in contrast, I'm going to talk about um, Pandemic a little bit because here is an, an example of the opposite of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Matt Leacock created a mechanic, his that ever-increasing threat where you shuffle the things and yep. they go back on top of the deck and then the, ex- the exploding viruses, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in, in Pandemic. But he's built that into a Cthulhu theme yep. where the viruses are yeah. now cultists yes. and uh, the deck of, of horror is now sort of old, great old ones yeah, and things like, like that. And stuff like that yeah. He's built it into a sort of Roman theme where it's now sort of roaming tribes and the Roman Empire and the threat of uh, sort of combat, which apparently is barbarians. amazing. Yeah, barbarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't played, but by all accounts is okay. absolutely fantastic. I've not heard of that Roman one. So I know yeah. there's about... I don't know, it seems like a dozen or so different There's a few. But... There is, and that is, by all accounts, amazing. 
there is Rising Tide, which I think is based on sort of the Dutch floodplains and things like that. Uh-huh. So you have to try and stop <laughs> flooding. And there is Pandemic Legacy, and I'm not I'm not going to spoil Pandemic Legacy, but Legacy Season Zero, the opening game. So not spoilers. This is the first thing you can do that you can replay. It's Agents. You're spreading agents around the world, like spies and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like Cold War stuff. Yeah, Cold War stuff. It? So that is an example of a me- it, where you can you can divorce the mechanics from the theme and b- apply them elsewhere. Yeah, it's a great engine. It's that an they can inc- pick up and put somewhere else. Exactly, and there's something to be said, and that's why I suppose I I, I lean towards that sort of Euro nature of of games because if it's a strong mechanism, if it's strong enough, you can just you you, you can enjoy it, mm-hmm. and the theme. You, you get into it regardless if the mechanism is strong enough. Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of choose your flavour, as it were. You're, yeah. You're guaranteed to have something good. Yeah. Yeah. And then which is the one that's going to be the thing that piques your interest most? Hundred percent. And he's used similar things in like uh, Forbidden Desert, where again yeah. you have a constantly increasing yeah. the same designer. I've has got that. Forbidden Island, which yeah. is basically the similar. Same. Yeah. yeah, very similar. Are there any examples that you can think of, of games that you've played where you could, I suppose, on the opposite, divorce those mechanics from the theme? For me, at least, like games that are lighter, like we talked mm. about Hanabi, that could be anything. I mean, you could paint anything on top of Hanabi, and it doesn't matter. Or, uh, or something like Jaipur as well. You can pretty much yes. put that in any setting. It's just like a trading game. It's a generic yeah. trading game, yeah. yeah. So I think the lighter the game, generally speaking, is going to be less the, less married to the theme. Yeah. I suppose Top Trumps is... Like the, 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 the prime example. I mean, it's, it's almost don't, don't, don't dirty our podcast. <laughs> it's almost not even uh, kind of a spoken of in 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 this kind of situation. But that is prime example of well, there's the mechanic: highest card on the chosen thing wins. Yeah. How many? I mean, probably thousands at this point. Um, different types of top trump, and it's yeah. very, that's very much a case of what's your favourite thing. Yeah, here's the top trump. For yeah. <laughs> also, games like uh, we talked about Star Realms as well. That could be anything, any any two clans fighting. In, anything where there's yeah a decent degree of they'll be fighting over something. Yeah, and with an option to upgrade by buying whatever it is. So yeah, I think Egyptian would work really well. I think yeah, medieval would work really well. Um, Viking Vikings, era yeah. kind yeah. of style. I think the difficulty in that question for us, at least, is we, like I said, we all come from the era of designer board games where we're very lucky that we have this amazing breadth and choice of these hybrids, which is why I would call, I guess, yeah. a lot of the games that that we play and are mm. into, where you it's built from the ground up with this great combination of theme and, and gameplay interaction and, and mechanics. And a lot of the time, you'll you'll play you know a whole different swathe of games, and they have similar. Engines, uh, yes. you know, they'll have a combination of dice drafting, deck building, yes, uh, randomized uh, deck mechanics for things like attack or defense yeah. resolutions, yeah. like in um, uh, like in Scythe, yes, to a certain extent. Um, and a lot of the designer games that you see will take any of these sort of you know half a dozen different mechanics and combine them in a different way to suit. Yeah, so there's not. Interestingly, there's not that many really, really unique mechanics that I can think of off the top of my head that Correct. don't get picked up and reflavored and put into another game mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or yeah. form. The the one that actually had come to mind that Eric had mentioned earlier was with Smog, mm. where you have this one versus many, and you see it in a lot of different games. You have like uh, Descent and things like that, all of the offshoots of Descent. Yeah, uh, There's a million and one 
different um, Kickstarter one versus many dungeon crawl type games. Mm -hmm. But Smog has a really clever mechanic in that uh, you have this constant, constant arms race between whoever's controlling the the evil mastermind and the heroes, where basically the mastermind gets a certain limited number of toys and tools and tricks to use unless the heroes decide to use their special abilities. And as the heroes become more desperate or mm-hmm. get whittled down, they are more and more likely to use their powers, their special abilities, whatever. And when they use them, the currency, the mechanic that they use to pay for those abilities yeah. becomes then fuel for the bad guy. Yeah, And it just becomes this steadily snowballing arms race as the bad guy gets more and more more and more powerful. Yeah. Because the good guys are getting more and more desperate and having to use their, <laughs> yeah. their yeah. tools. And we've had games where if the heroes aren't pressured enough, they'll play super lean. They won't use any of their abilities <laughs> for the whole game. Yeah. And just starve the villain out. starve the bad yeah. guy. It's really, really clever. And it develops over the course of a campaign. You have a number of missions sort of that you can play back to back with intermissions and upgrades yeah. and things in between. Mm-hmm. But every every time you have a new, new mission set up or you have a new intermission... Um, everything that the heroes do has an equal and opposite reaction nice. with with the uh, the bad guy. And one of the things that bugged me about certainly about the earlier editions of Descent was that 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 balance the catch up mechanic between either the heroes and the bad guy or the bad guy and the heroes mm. was not there, right? Or not well yeah, yeah, yeah. enough developed. Well, you enough, can get one yeah. team. You know, snowball way ahead of the other, mm. but Smog has a really, really clever sort of catch-up mechanism. It's even like the balancing between the missions as well, because depending if you succeed or fail on the earlier mission, you'll have less resources available to you mm. when you do the like at the start of every mission. You get to like buy items and stuff like mm. that, but also when you buy items, you're giving points to the enemy to buy worse items. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I really like that balance. It sounds yeah, we'll, yeah it we'll sounds do cool. better, but they'll do better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have it's like really like sort of a about calculated like, risk. Exactly. Yeah. If, you, if you lost a mission, you might decide that, well, we need to go all in and buy these really expensive yeah. things to help us with the next mission, but we just have to bear in mind that the bad guy gets a benefit as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was watching, it was an old Geek and Sundry uh, one-shot where they were doing their Undeadwood, yeah. based, oh, on, yeah. based on the Deadwood series, but yeah. then zombified, essentially. And they had a similar kind of mission where the, the team, as it were, got uh, certain chips, like poker chip kind of thing, I think was the, the flavour of it. Mm-hmm. And they could spend it for a re-roll or an additional thing. But as they spent it, they gave it to the games master. Yeah. So he then had it for his side. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. actually, yeah. So, yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. Like, yeah, like, a moving economy of, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, uh, of, of ability. I suppose, um, you know how we mentioned that we might like either slightly more balanced Euro-style games or slightly more Meritrashy games, but I think we are all from the same place where we actually really like that hybrid. Mm. And I think that's important to note because, to be perfectly frank, if the theme isn't there, I'm not going to be interested. It takes a lot for me to really be interested in a game that I'm not interested in the theme. Mm. Um, and I don't know how if you guys feel the same way, but I had to kind of almost be forced to play Seven Wonders before I really enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't be something I would pick up off the shelf otherwise. I think the theme in most cases sells the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the reviews and the gameplay experience yes. afterwards telling depending on how good the mechanics are yeah correct I'm, I'm, I think it's it's super important for me to want to invest in in the theme um, 
but yeah, yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's a hard one to to strike. I think for publishers and developers. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not one who's going to chase a license particularly. It's no, I don't like, give, oh. give a toss about IP license. I mean, because mm. uh, I've got enough. I don't think any of my games are licensed games, but or except my sorry, Star Wars Rebellion um, and Fallout would be the only other one. Oh yeah, but, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking earlier, like I wouldn't play, and probably I potentially want to play it less if Dinosaur Island was officially Jurassic Park. Yeah. And not to say that I don't like Jurassic Park, but I'm not like I'm not going to be sold more. I'm not going to be yeah. sold more on yeah, it because the same with like all the Marvel yeah. stuff. Yeah. Not, you know, yeah. yeah, I like yeah. Marvel, but if you say, "Oh, this is average game plus Marvel," I'm like, cool, but it's not necessarily going to be the thing for yeah. me. Yeah, um, but it would have. Yeah, I totally agree though that a strong theme. Yes, regardless be, of what it is, like yeah. Wasteland Express. I love post-apocalyptic. So. Yeah, that theme drags you in. So you've got the sizzle, and now you need you need the meat, you need the steak to yeah. to make it. Oh, so chunky. that you're not just playing it once. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Right, you you have to have the sizzle to draw you in, and yeah, for me, I, I, that's one of the things that really catches me. It's one of the next games on my list that I want to buy is Root. Mm. So the, uh, it has a really fun looking theme, um, where well, it's ostensibly a war game, but I love asymmetry. But the mechanics, by all accounts, are super deep and really fun and. Um, Interesting to play. Yeah, yeah. All, all of the different clans are basically different types of woodland animals. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Squirrels versus mice versus. But fight, versus but, nice. Yeah, but fighting to the death. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all shit down. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, you can. Ha- there's loads of games with theme, and then you get to it, and it's like the mechanics are just too chunky. It could have been a lot simpler, like Gotham City Chronicles, for example. Oh, it's just too weighty. It's too. It's like. It's like. Oh yeah, cool. Let's play a Batman game. You get to play a bunch of different characters from from the comics and stuff like that. And then it's just. It's just way too complex. It's the weight of it is not. Um, it 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 tries to do too much. Yes. It's so not, it, is it not rewarding enough for its? Depth it's not rewarding enough for its depth or or the time to spend putting yeah. into it. Yeah, because by the time you understand it, yeah, it's a super fun game. It's fun. Yeah, of course. But we were looking at it. It took us like an hour, more than an hour to figure out. We almost gave up. No, because I it was remember so hearing you guys yeah. chatting about it. Like, and then oh, when we got to it, it was like, oh, okay, it makes sense. But now we have to teach it to other people. And now when we play another scenario, that's another set of rules. Exactly. So And there's multiple scenarios it's in the game. It's a trap that I think too many Kickstarter games fall into. And, and they tend to yeah. not be successful ones. But mm-hmm. sometimes, do sometimes the, the, you know, the flashiness of the game is enough to sell it. And then people realise that the you know whoever was writing the rules never really got the second opinion and they weren't play tested. Yeah, we've said that before, haven't yeah. we? Having that outside view and going, well, I understand how it works. Have I written it well enough that I give you yeah. someone who yeah, doesn't that's, understand that's what it. we said as well with uh, Gotham City Chronicles. We were like, I feel like the designers were like, oh, okay, yeah, this will make sense, but because that's because you're making the game. Yeah, and then oh, we could also do this and then change it slightly, yeah. and then do this and change it slightly. But those slight changes is more things to understand. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. outside it's, the it's, core concepts. Yeah, a bit like we've referenced martial arts in the past. Of yeah, both you and I. Both can, yeah. We both got a simple defense to a simple attack, and we've got like a million different variations we can do. But mm-hmm. trying to tell everyone all of those variations before they know how to step their feet correctly. Yeah, yeah. So you just want almost you want to make it more simple than more complicated. Sort of yeah. do less, I guess, yeah. is um, is what you want. And then, and then you can have that reward. You go, oh yeah, that worked. I moved there and I didn't get hit. Cool. That's the investment I put in yeah. gets me the reward I want. I suppose that's the other side of you know how I said I really must have a strong theme, the, the sizzle to draw me in. The, the, the problem 
with highly thematic games, or some of the problems with highly thematic games, is they try to simulate. So, yeah. and when you try and simulate a lot of things, you then can get over complexity. Yeah. Um, an example for in one of the games I own, I mean, aside from Gotham City Chronicles, yeah. is uh, Nemesis has some extraneous mechanics that just don't need to be there. Um, like things like crafting. I don't think I've ever crafted an item in that game. It's I'm just sure it, being I, able to put together a Molotov, for example. Yeah, it's just yeah. like I don't think I've ever. I think we did it once. Yeah, I've, once. I've, I've done yeah. it once, and yeah, the, again, the reward of it isn't worth the rules for it. I think, yeah. right? And I think there's a couple other things. Uh, uh, Lords of Hellas is another game where it's an amazing game, but it simulates so many things that adds layers of complexity that aren't necessary, which is where sort of a more, I guess, Euro design. Mm-hmm. Philosophy helps streamline those things and take them out because. Did you play with any of the expansions? What Hellas and Honors of Hellas? No, it's the base game. Okay, it was, I, I found actually that I quite enjoyed the base game. It's amazing. I it's one of my favorite but games. It's, it's almost games. like they've written three or four completely separate games and, and smashed them together. Smash them together because you can play one of those games. Yes, and you can go. Okay, well, I'm going to play the war game territory control yeah. version of this game. Those guys over there are going to be playing the religion, yeah. political intrigue version of the this game. Guy is playing this the guy monster is playing Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter. And then you yeah. get to the end of the game and someone wins, and you're like, oh, what? "What the hell? I was nearly there, but this guy's just won by fighting some like Cyclops." And yeah, like, it's, what happened? It's super. It's super awesome, actually. To be fair, no, it is good. Um, I guess the same. Yeah, the, the, the same could be said for a few games, but uh, that's I guess where you need that sweet spot, and that's why that those types of games, those hybrids, are like crack to me. I think they are. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about modern board gaming. Um, that perfect theme gameplay interaction um, where you've got the sizzle of a great theme and and uh, great simulation, and then you've got the stake of a game that you can play over and over again and mm-hmm. enjoy it differently every single time. Absolutely, we're spoiled for choice now. Fortunately, so there's there's plenty that are in that sweet spot. Yeah, I always love playing games where you can like play it and it's mechanical, but then also everything you do is building a story as well in the end. Exactly. Um, You know, like we talked about Western Legends. Every time we play that game, something dumb happens and it's hilarious. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, really, yeah, great times. Dinosaur Island, nothing but smiles because the crazy stories uh, that happen during the game. It's just awesome. Thanks for listening to Board Stupid. Subscribe to us for updates and to get future episodes of the show delivered directly to your ear holes via your favourite podcast service. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stupidboardnerds. That's B-O-A-R-D. Insert sarcastic comment again about that name here. <laughs> uh, and at our home, anchor.fm slash boardstupid. Again, B-O-A-R-D. If you like our content, do us a massive favour. Give us a five-star review wherever you can review us and share the links to our episodes on social media. If you've got any feedback, comments or questions, please do stick it in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. What are your examples of great theme gameplay interaction? What games do you play where you think, ah, this is the perfect marriage of these two things. I love it. Do you prefer highly thematic games? Do you prefer more balanced mechanical design? Where on that scale do you sit? Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again real soon. Tom, Eric, pleasure having you. Thank you for, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.